Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. I was, I was in the car today driving for work and I do, sometimes I do quite a bit of driving. Uh, for work. I'm a, I'm a salesperson for a flooring company and today I had to drive from sunny Port Clinton, Ohio to, uh, to Medina, Ohio, which is about an hour and 20 minute drive each way. And on that drive, I was listening to John DeLynn's Mormon Stories interview of Infants on Thrones. And one of the, one of the hosts on the Infants on Thrones podcast was sharing some of his personal life and talking about how he had thought about suicide and had thought thought about ending his life and and then had a friend who did so and then how he had this kind of uh I guess I, I would call it an epiphany and he he began to work with uh the suicide hotline so that he could answer phone calls of people who were calling in considering ending their life and he could walk them backwards from essentially that edge and and help them put things in a better perspective and and kind of talk them down from that and uh, and as I was listening to him talk about that, I've I had some things that are going on in my own life and some previous experiences in my life kind of strike me pretty hard. Uh, somebody that I I love and care about very deeply is having a hard time right now in their life, and and they've had some of these same kinds of thoughts. And it it also reminded me too. I've got a listener to this podcast who about a year and a half ago messaged me and said, "Hey, I'm a non Mormon." But I listen to your podcast and I, I thank you for your views. I've never ever joined the church. I've just always been interested in Mormonism and appreciate your perspective. Uh, you know who you are out there and I appreciate uh, your listening and, uh, and taking time out of your day to tune into this podcast. But the same person emailed me about a, a month ago and said, you know, your views on the LGBT or homosexual issue are inconsistent with your church's theology and doctrine. They're also inconsistent with biblical Christianity. And because of that, I'm having a hard time with those views that you share. So first off, I want to say thank you for sharing that. I am, I'm absolutely open to constructive criticism. If, if I sit up here behind a microphone and share my perspective and points of view with you, I certainly ought to be willing to also listen to what you have to say and to hear to hear you out as well. And so I wrote this person back and shared with them, I guess, several things. One is that I've never publicly condemned the church's doctrine, nor have I ever demanded that the church change its doctrine. What I have done is say that essentially we have to do something differently, that gay members of the church, so many of them feel no choice other than to leave this faith. That way too often, I just shared on my Facebook page this morning um, some articles about parents of of children who are gay and those gay children ending up homeless in a much larger percentage than than straight kids. 
the the two or three articles I looked up this morning said that 40% of homeless youth in Utah considered themselves as gay, bisexual, uh, transgendered, etc. And and if we recognize that the of the human population that somewhere between two and maybe eight, two and ten percent of the population is gay, that they would identify themselves as being gay, uh, lesbian, you know, bisexual, transgender, all of that kind of stuff. And if two to let's just say two to eight percent, let's just use six percent as kind of an average. Let's say six percent of the human population is is gay, or some other label in that sense that they're, you know, that they would identify themselves as not being attracted solely to people of the opposite gender. And then recognizing that 40% of the youth in Utah that are homeless would identify themselves as being in the LGBT category. And so what that says is that that's disproportionate. So hence we have a problem. Not only that, but youth who identify as being gay or 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 would identify themselves as being in the LGBT in that kind of a label, the suicide rate is so much higher. And this all goes together. And so I've I've essentially said something has to change. Something has got to to be tweaked to not marginalize, ostracize these people as much as we already do, we've got to find new ways to include them, to lighten up and say, okay, if we're going to, if we're going to say this is God's rule and we can't change that, fine. But what can we change? Can we allow members who are gay and, and practicing homosexual behavior, can we allow them to still hold some kind of calling and award? Do we have to have a disciplinary council? Do we have to, uh, marginalize them to the point that they feel so outside of the community that they choose to leave. And that's concerning. And so I, I wrote to this individual who wrote into the podcast and I essentially shared with them that, you know, one, I've never spoken out against the doctrine. But number two, I feel like a hypocrite if I ask my gay brothers and sisters to live a life that I would be unwilling to live. In other words, if if my state president or the prophet or God for that matter demanded that I live the rest of my life Without having love from, from my spouse, without having intimacy from my spouse, without having the chance to hold hands and to kiss and to, to be close in a thousand different ways. Could I do that? And the, and the answer is no, I couldn't. Uh, John DeLynn asked me that on my Mormon Stories interview where I was on Mormon Stories and talking to him about serving as a bishop in the church and working through faith crisis and other things. He threw that question out at me and I said, no, I don't, I don't think I could. And I've reflected on that. And so for me to tell my gay brothers and sisters, sorry, but you have to live a celibate life would make me a hypocrite. And so I'm unable to do that. And so I will not ask them to be celibate. And I would ask, I would simply share with any gay individual that they need to do what their conscience tells them. They need to do what their heart tells them, that I love them no matter what decision they make. And I validate their journey. And while I hope they can find a way to work within the LDS church, that I totally understand whatever they need to do to find the peace that that I need in life. I was driving for for work today and I heard John DeLynn's interview with Infants on Thrones. And one of the the host of the Infant on Thrones podcast made mention that he had attempted suicide once and that uh he had a friend who had ended his life. And that after that, 
this person had decided that they would work with the suicide intervention hotline and essentially be one of the people who answers phone calls. And when I heard that, it just kind of struck a chord with me. I, uh, I have somebody in my life whom I love and care about so immensely who has some of these thoughts at times about ending their life. And I think how awful is it that someone feels so down, so hopeless, so, so hurt that the only way they can see to get out of all that pain is to, to make their life cease. And I think about how needlessly many of these, these occur. I mean, right? I mean, suicide is preventative. If we can see the warning signs, if we can treat people in a way that we're not adding to that burden that they carry. And then I go back to thinking about these, these homeless youth in Utah and these, this higher number of, of gay suicides that I think we would find to be significant statistically percentage wise of the population within the LDS culture. And it reminded me of, uh, of a story of my friend. And I, I, I don't know if I've shared this in the podcast before or not. If I have, I'm really sorry for boring you, but the story to me is just so poignant of, of where things can go wrong. When I joined the church at 17, I just loved missionaries. And as I grew a little older, 18, 19, I can list, I can list probably eight or 10 missionaries who just had a, a significant impact on me. Just missionaries I, I grew to love and still value their relationship, even though many of them I've not, I've not talked to in years. Out of that list, there's four or five who have been just, just one tier higher as far as how important they've been to me. I've got one dear friend who lives in Canada who I, I disagree with at times. He served a mission in my ward and was instrumental in my, my testimony early on of the gospel and, and more than just a testimony of the gospel, just a testimony of service, of Christ-like love and behavior. And uh, he listens to these podcasts from time to time and, and you know who you are. And, uh, and I appreciate you, my friend, even though we disagree at times. I want you to know I, I love and care for you deeply. I've got some other missionary friends who live in Idaho and in California. In fact, I want to maybe make mention here in case anybody listening happens to know who I'm speaking of. One of the missionaries who taught me the gospel, his name was Josh Walters, and he, he was from California, and he had pretty big hair before he came out, but he got himself cleaned up and he cleaned up nicely and he came out on his mission and he's one of the one of the two the two elders who who taught me the discussions and uh, and who were with me when I got baptized and brother walters wherever you're at I uh, you served in the Sandusky ward but I can't find you I've looked you looked everywhere for you and I don't know where you're at I, I hope you're well and I hope life has been good to you but if you if you happen to hear this or uh, if somebody happens to tap you on the shoulder and say Brother Real was talking about you. Uh, I hope to, to hear from you and please, please get in contact with me. If anybody knows Josh Walters, the, the missionary who's probably about two years older than me, three years older than me. I'm 36, so maybe he's 39, 40, who served a mission in the Cleveland, Ohio mission. Uh, please, uh, point him back my direction. I, I just owe him a, a giant thanks for his service. I'm, I'm pretty certain from his, comments to me that he didn't feel like his mission was much of a success and that he he didn't feel like his life had been much of a success until he he got himself out onto a mission and got himself kind of cleaned up to go to serve and i just want to say brother walters uh, wherever you're at god bless you and thank you so much for for bringing me in 
But that's not the story I wanted to share today. I have another story about another missionary that uh, that I hold dearly in my heart. We'll we'll call his name Dustin. Dustin came into the Sandusky Ward, and it started off as a triple up. And the mission president decided to move one of the missionaries who had been in our ward, who had been there for a while, out. So there was a triple up for a couple of days. And then one of the missionaries, who I really liked as well, left so that Dustin could serve here in Sandusky. For about a week, I didn't, I wasn't very happy with Dustin because in my mind, I blamed him for causing this other missionary to have to leave. That, that essentially one missionary comes in and so hence the other one has to go. And I, I blamed this missionary even though it's none of his fault at all. And we, me and my wife had just bought a house, our first home, and we were fixing things up as we had money and ability to do so. And I, I decided to tackle some issues in our bathroom with the plumbing. And I had gotten myself into just a major conundrum. And I was almost in tears because I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I had essentially dug into all the bathroom plumbing and then realized I didn't have the ability or the resources to fix it. And I really didn't have the money to call somebody to do the repairs. And just as I'm kind of sinking into this this pit of despair, as we use the phrase, a knock came on the door. And as you can assume, it was the missionaries. And so whenever, when I heard the talk from... uh Elder Russell M. Nelson about Ask the Missionaries. I always chuckle because that's exactly what I did. They came to the door and I, I went to the door and opened it and, and there was Dustin and his companion. And uh, they asked uh, if they could come in and I let them in. And they said, how are you doing today? And I said, oh, not so good. And they said, well, what can we do for you? And I said, well, probably nothing. I've got some pretty severe plumbing issues. And Dustin's eyes perked up. His face turned into a bright smile. By the way, he had uh, he had an awesome smile. Dustin said uh, before he came on his mission, he he was a plumber. And to me, I'm just thinking, wow, what a coincidence, right? I'm having a major plumbing issue. The Lord sends a missionary to our area who is a plumber, and that plumber happens to knock on my door right in the midst of my plumbing issue. And so I do consider that one of the Lord's tender mercies, that at least at a minimum is, a, is an evidence to me of God and his love for me as one of his children. And so I perked up after I heard him say that, and I said, perfect. This, this couldn't be any, any better of a match. And so for the next two days, Dustin and I and his companion were at my home where he worked on my house through the day. And we would run back and forth to the big box stores to get supplies. And by the end of the second day, he had me all fixed up. And as you can imagine, all my frustration with him dissipated and I had nothing but love in my heart for him. I just was so appreciative of the Lord sending him to be in the right place at the right time and for his willingness to share his talent when I had a need. Well, Dustin served in our ward for several months and I grew very attached to him. And uh, and he eventually got transferred and eventually went home from his mission. When Dustin got home, he started his own plumbing business and got married and had two beautiful daughters. Time went by. And I realized that I had not done a very good job keeping in contact with these four or five missionaries who had just had a gigantic impact on me. So I began searching their names up in the, in the phone book, uh, whitepages.com to be exact. And I began looking for these four or five, uh, missionaries who had, who had meant so much in my life. And the missionary from Canada, I, I found several people in the area near where I thought he lived with the same last name. And so I called each of them and where there was no answer, I left a message on the answer machine. 
at the exact same day that I'm leaving a message on the answering machine of this missionary, this, uh, this person who was a missionary in my area, the one that lived in Canada, he just happened to have arrived in Sandusky that day where I live. And he was at a, a vacation water park resort. We have several of them in our, in our city. Which, by the way, if any of you as listeners want to visit uh, those water parks and come to Sandusky, Ohio to do that, please give me a call while you're here and be happy to meet up with you and to chat. But he happened to arrive in Sandusky the same day as I'm calling his home in Canada, and he calls the church that evening, and I happen to be there, and I drive right over to this resort, and uh, and him and I spend the evening just catching up and talking. And we've re- we've kept contact since then. I've been to his home in Canada. He's been to my home in Sandusky, and, and I just consider him a dear friend. This other missionary who uh, the who had gone back and become a plumber and, and helped me with my plumbing, it was Christmas Day when I finally retrieved his contact information. I had no luck finding it online, but I went into our ward library, and, and luckily one of the sisters in our ward had put together a scrapbook of all the missionaries who had served in our ward, and becoming aware of that, I flipped through it, and I find his picture with his address, and so I know what city he lives in, and it's in Utah. And I end up calling him. I find his his name on online with that city, and uh, it lists his wife. It and I call the number, and the machine comes on, and it you know says hello. You've reached uh, Natalie in Tabitha in Denise. Leave a message at the beep beep. And I think that's strange. That was his wife's name. And it mentions the kids, but there's no mention of Dustin. And uh, and so on, on Christmas Day, here I am leaving this message at his home. And then I track down his parents online and I call their home on Christmas Day. And Dustin's sister answers the phone and I, I explained who I was and that I was looking for, for Dustin. And this young lady just broke down in sobbing tears. And she quickly passes the phone off to her father who answers the phone and I I realized then that I pretty much know I pretty much put two and two together at this point and uh and I I begin to realize that I'm beginning to lose control of my emotions and I explain to Dustin's father who I am and he breaks down in tears and uh and him and I spent probably a good hour just talking on Christmas that year what had happened was Dustin began to feel depressed as uh, as he began this his starting his own company, a plumbing business. As he had a young family, two beautiful young daughters, and uh, the depression was getting the best of him. So he sought out a doctor, and that doctor prescribed to him a antidepressant. But what many of you may not know is that while antidepressant drugs help. By and far, the large majority of those who take the medicine, there's also the fact that a small section of those who take these medicines end up having a worse depression than they started with. And that was the case with Dustin. And Dustin ended up taking his life. And as I think about people in my life that I've lost needlessly to this, and he's not the only one, and as I have a member of our our ward who struggles with these feelings, and I have a member of my family who struggles with these feelings. And then I look at what we as a culture do to those who identify themselves as gay. 
and I'm sorry, but I simply won't tolerate it. And it it's frustrating to me, and I'll just be honest, it's frustrating to me that as a church, as an institution, we we don't talk about this. You can't find a general conference talk or a Enzyme article that tells parents they shouldn't kick their gay children out of the house or that they should be more accepting of their gay children. It simply doesn't happen. And so in some way, we are accountable for that. And I get it. Biblical Christianity speaks out against homosexuality. Church theology speaks out against homosexuality. And so we we have this tension. But I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And I'm not going to ask somebody to do something I can't do. And I'm not going to do something that, that intentionally damages others and, and ostracizes them and pushes them out of my faith community. And, and in some cases, they end up being homeless or so depressed that sometimes in the worst of cases, suicide occurs. And so I hope that each of you will at least understand where I'm coming from. And, and I get it. I'm taking a stance that the church is going to be very uncomfortable with me taking, but so be it. I uh, I don't know that I can believe or or hold ground any other way, and uh, and with that I hope that uh, each of you have a a good day. That the Lord warms your shoulders. That in some way you your testimony was was touched and uplifted, and that we can find a way to push through all of this and to press on. God bless you. Again, may the Lord warm your shoulders. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. By the time I recognized my life By the time I realized I lied And I'm not special And you took all my words as true When you knew I never had a clue Cause I'm not special So listen to your heart and mind and soul And listen to your heart and mind and soul Am I the only one who knows we don't know it? Am I the only one who knows we don't know it? Am I the only one who knows we don't know shit? So think about 50 years ago All those things those people did not know In 50 years from now you're done So think of all those things locked in the box You never had the heart to open up In a hundred years the world forgot So listen to your heart and mind and soul And listen to your heart and mind and soul We do not know things that we think we do So just shut your mouth We do not know things 